The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops podcast, we are back. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. You got in the post-meal workout after the hands on the stomach, lay on the couch, (laughs) post-Thanksgiving meal malaise. BJ, talk to me about that smoked turkey, brother. You know, I'm still laid out on the couch. You're still not not right, huh? Yeah, I'm still not right. But, you know, it was a wonderful time. It's always one of my favorite holidays with family friends and uh but it was great can't complain and uh here we're back in the office ready to go at another podcast and uh let's get it my friend quickly what was your emotional uh roller coaster like during the lions bears thriller you know i'm I'm a lions fan so we are used and we are we've come accustomed to losing close games. <laughs> Let's say we're conditioned, but all in all, I stick with my guys. Those are my lions. We love them. And there's always next year. That's our motto. The similarities with the Cleveland Browns. Is <laughs> fourth, fourth, fourth string quarterback in Pittsburgh. No Schuster, no Connor, still no win for the Browns. I know it's unbelievable. It, it really is. unbelievable. Uh, Thank goodness football does not resonate with us like basketball does. And obviously, you're at, you're at the point where you, you can't be a fan of a team, and I'm at the point where uh, I've almost matured into a full-fledged adult. So watching the Celtics lose uh, in Brooklyn on Friday uh, didn't completely ruin my day. Uh, but they, uh, they redeemed themselves Sunday at the Garden with a— uh, a solid win uh, over the Knicks. My man Marcus Smart went down with a what will hopefully only be a hip pointer, but uh, Celtics still fighting uh, there at the top of the standings. But uh, a lot more has happened since we last talked. James Harden gets sixty and three quarters. Mm. Joel Embiid goes through an entire game last week scoreless. Mm. Hassan Whiteside blocks 10 shots Friday versus Chicago. Mm. And the Portland Trailblazers with Carmelo Anthony have won three straight games. Granted, not the highest level of opponents. I believe it was Chicago twice. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mike Charlotte. Uh, This week, though, much more of a test for them. They've got the Clippers, the Kings, and the Lakers. So... Before we dig into the brilliance of James Harden for a moment, uh, what are you seeing from Portland, and who can they be with Melo and Hassan Whiteside playing uh, at the top of his game? Well, again, you know, I've been a huge Carmelo fan from, you know, back in his day in high school, right? 
and watching him at Syracuse, and he's clearly had a unbelievable career. In saying that, you know, Eric, I don't know what to expect at a Carmelo at what 34, 35 years of age. Uh, it, it's certainly great to see him play at a high level versus the teams that you've mentioned. Uh, here and not taking away anything versus those teams and where they're at. But uh, I think overall the Portland Trailblazers are looking for chemistry. They're looking for a way to get themselves back in the fold. They've been kind of, from a record perspective, they've been disappointing um, at the first half of the season. There's a lot of basketball to be played, certainly um, – you know that will be determined. Yeah, I mean, listen, quarter. we're we're a quarter we're a quarter of the way through. Yeah, they're a disappoint they're a di- they're a disappointing eight and twelve after twenty games. But the good news for them is there's a long way to go. And as of today, they're two two in the loss column out of the eight seed. So exactly. But again, th- they'll that- they'll they'll be right there. And just let me finish the point. They'll be right there. They'll just be right there in a way, taking a journey that they definitely didn't expect. Yeah, I, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to, you know, when you get to be that age, 34, 35, look, you, you go through, you know, some, game, some days he'll feel good, some days he won't. But um, I'm going to lower my expectations. It's, I'm happy for him to see him back playing, doing I know what he loves to do. It's, uh, I'm sure it's been a humbling experience for him in many ways. But again, let's let's see, you know, how this plays itself out, and uh, there's a lot of basketball to be played. There's one take that's out there, and I'm not saying it's some major media outlet or big personality, but you know, in the basketball circles in the in the quote unquote NBA Twitter sphere, you know, you have people saying that analytics cost Carmelo a year of his career, meaning what happened last season. So I pose this question for you. It's great to see him back. He's found a fit that works. He was always rumored, and when I say always, always the last three or four years, rumored that Portland would be a great fit. Um, do you think it was his attitude, the situation he was in, the way the game has continued to change as far as style and positioning, or a combination of all of those things that have led to this very odd chapter in Carmelo Anthony's career, one that he seems to be uh, exiting and entering a new one right now to to go down the home stretch? You, you know, Eric, that's a great question. And, you know, when Carmelo was going through this you know, phase of his career, it reminded me of something I learned a long time when I was playing. And, you know, life is change and change is life. It's, you're going to change in how you have to play. And it reminded me when I first came to the NBA, you know, I was used to having the ball in my hands and I was used to playing. And I was the playmaker and I was the, the first option. When I came to the Bulls as a young player, I quickly learned that I was never, ever going to be the first option again. There was another guy there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, a couple couple of And then after that guy, there was another guy there. And I learned very quickly from a a veteran, Bill Cartwright, who said, you know, if you want to have a career in the NBA, you're going to have to learn how to adapt. And you're going to have to learn how to play without the ball. And you're going to have to learn how to contribute to the game without having to score. 
And he said, the, and I remember him telling me this. He said, and the hardest guys, the, the guys who find it the hardest to adapt are the guys who, are, who become the first option on the offensive end in the NBA. And he said, that was my hardest adjustment when I left the Knicks, when I came here. Hmm. And he said, if you want to have a career, learn that immediately and you can have a career in this league. Because not many guys will be the number one option throughout their entire career. And I remember him saying that, and you know, like most rookies, oh yeah, whatever. And as I watched Carmelo Anthony, I was reminded of that. As I watched Allen Iverson, I was reminded of that. It is very difficult for the number one option to learn how to adjust. Yep. It's, it, 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 that, that is probably the most difficult transition in the NBA once you get a taste of that. And for other guys who have learned that lesson, whether they learned it knowingly or whether they consciously made that adjustment, you have to learn how to play in this league and contribute in other ways other than scoring the basketball. And I think for Carmelo, that has always been his Achilles heel, if you will, because he can score. We know he can score. That kid will be 40, 50 years old. He can score. He's a professional scorer. But what else can he do to contribute to the game outside of scoring, I think, is where he is. Uh, I think that's the lesson he's probably learning. And I was, I'm always reminded of that as I watch him now because it's no doubt about it. He's an NBA player. He's an NBA talent. But how does he fit his talent now into the team that he's no longer the 25-point dominant score that he once was? And uh, it's not to say that he can't do it every other night or, you know, whatever, you know, you know every now and then, you know, but it, it, it's tough. And then, you know, I, I, at the end of my career, I played with another guy, Dominique Wilkins, and I saw the same thing. And uh, it just reminds me of how important it is to be a well-rounded player as you enter into the later stages of your career because you got to find ways to be productive, find ways to contribute, even though you're not getting the touches and scoring the ball on a consistent basis like you once did when you were younger. Yeah, great points. You, you have me thinking, uh, before we close this topic, you have me thinking about two all-time great players who due to one to circumstance and one to, um, you know, being traded, they both went from number one to, you know, number two slash support guys and won a championship. And that's Clyde Drexler when he went to the Rockets. And that's David Robinson uh, following uh, the emergence of Tim Duncan. So um, interesting to think about that over the years to see who's done it. But, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on the Blazers. Correction, they've beaten the Bulls twice in the Thunder, not the Hornets. But we'll see what they do against tougher competition. And for Melo, him being able to play the Clippers and the Lakers this week, and and Harrison Barnes too is a guy for the Kings who's emerging. He's gonna be he's gonna be fired up for this uh, as are his Blazer teammates. So this will be this will be interesting. So James Harden, sixty points, mm. I believe, eight rebounds and eight assists in three quarters. So obviously, we think back immediately to Kobe's eighty-one point game in two thousand six against Toronto. What scoring explosion? Do you go back to from when you were playing when we're looking at what Harden did 
not just the other night, but what he has the potential to do on any given night and just light up the scoreboard at the blink of an eye. Well, you know, those are impressive numbers. And the most impressive part of it was he scored 60 points in like 30 minutes. So you're you're seeing that this... That's crazy. Yeah, That's crazy. I mean, the, the way the game is played and the way they shoot threes and the way they play contributes to that. But 60 points is 60 points. I don't care how you get them and and what system yep. and style that you're playing. So that's a very, that's an amazing accomplishment. Now, in saying that, what is the consistency in which he can do that when needed? You know, it's a regular season game versus the Atlanta Hawks. And you know what? You know, scoring 60 points in any game, let alone an NBA game, is impressive. But the fact that he's able to do that in that amount of time just speaks volume about what kind of offensive score he really is. Again, I always get back to the following. You know, when those shots go down, it looks great. But can they win? I always come back to them with the following. Can they win when those shots aren't going down? And, you know, what else more can we say about James Harden offensively? I mean, mean, he can score. That's what he does. He scores with distance. He's a... A great one-on-one player, isolation player, but does that really win in the playoffs? That's to be debated. And uh, but you got to give credit where credit is due. Sixty is sixty, no matter how you slice it or dice it. They scored 158 points as a team. Harden scores 60. And I know some people put a little too much into plus minus for games. He scored 60 and he was a plus 50 <laughs> while on the floor <laughs> against the Hawks. Um, it, it's A, seeing historic performances is always something we like. But B, you know, we, we both wanted to see this Houston thing get off to a good start, meaning the Westbrook-Harden combination. And, uh, and clearly it has. But to your point... Uh, we're going to have to see whether or not this style of play can get them where they want to go, which is to the Western Conference Finals and beyond. Speaking, my friend, of the Western Conference Finals, the Red Hot Lakers had won 10 straight before dropping to Dallas on Sunday. L.A. this week at Denver, at Utah, back-to-back, Tuesday and Wednesday. LeBron all 20 games played, averaging 35 minutes a game, playing incredible basketball. His career average, just so you know, for minutes is 38. We thought it was going to be Anthony Davis and co. carrying the team through the season and LeBron hitting the turbo button for the playoffs to get them out of the West. He's playing at such a high level right now, you can't fault this, but what are your thoughts about what, what are your thoughts and what's your comfortability with the amount of minutes that LeBron James is playing right now? Well, the, in, in the old way of thinking, I don't have a problem at all. He's only playing about, what, 34, 35 minutes a night. Um, I don't have it right in front of me, but I, 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 don't, I don't see that as a— 35 a night. Yeah, 35. I, it might have gotten lost with my, with my very long-paced lead-in. So I don't. Uh, I, I'm leading. I'm leading in today at the pace that Robert Parrish would go baseline to baseline. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's a, a big deal, especially the way they play. They're not like, they're not getting up and down, 
like say like the Houston Rockets or some of the other teams that play with much more pace. So I'm okay mm-hmm. with where he's at. I'm okay the style that they play, his usage, so forth and so on. But the one thing that stood out to me about this game is that, you know, the the Lakers, in my opinion, have or had an opportunity to make a statement versus a team they could potentially see in the first round of the playoffs. And just to be clear, you're talking about the Dallas Mavericks on Sunday. I'm talking about the Dallas Mavericks. Yes. And they just played them, I think like a week ago. And when you're a young team, you're always trying to measure yourself. That was a game that they, especially there in Dallas, that they were able to measure themselves. And the Lakers came down there and just put it right to them. They took the game, took the game. Now, when you get an opportunity to play that same team, you get an opportunity to make some adjustments. You get an opportunity to see the things that you could do better. And you look at how you played, how you prepared, and the coaches will point out a few things. And Dallas made some adjustments and came here and took it right to the Lakers. Now, people will say, well, that's just one game. But it's not just one game because Dallas – saw something that they could do against the Lakers. And they not only did it, they beat them convincingly at home. And that is a big game because you never, ever want to give the opponent an opportunity to believe that they can beat you, especially at home. Oh, you think about the confidence boost this is for them. And and you're getting getting contributions from Dwight Powell, from DeLon Wright, and from Justin Jackson, along with... Kristaps and Luca. Yes. So whatever Rick Carlisle and staff saw, they saw something and they made an adjustment and it was a big adjustment and it wasn't a close game. I mean, they were up big in that game in the second half. And I'm a little concerned and I'm going to go back to this game during the postseason because this game to me shows that they have some weakness. I, I haven't dissected the tape or the film myself but clearly there's something going on there when you lose like like that that big at home and there are and and the Lakers have been playing terrific basketball but when you lose against a team that you know or you have the potential to see you make sure that you keep that guy down and this to me was one of those games that caught my attention because Dallas saw something they know something and now they believe that they – well, they don't believe it. Now they know they can come here and win on the road if need be. So I think For sure. this is a one of those games where people will be like, oh, you're making too big of a deal. I don't think this is too big of a deal at all because they have the potential to see this team, and they're a young team, and they have energy. And when you have a young team and a star player like Luka Doncic, anything is possible. And uh, clearly they're not afraid of the Lakers. They're not, and you just dropped the old KG, anything is possible, which I always love. But <laughs> looking at the, you know, people are, people are always talking about, oh, you know, so-and-so, they've had an easy schedule to start. So-and-so, oh, they've had a tough schedule. What do you make of, what do you make of their 17 and 20 start? Is it a combination of friendly schedule versus tremendous talent? Um, what are you really seeing from the Lakers 
regardless of this 17-3 and record? Who are they today as we start December? Well, part of being a good team, Eric, is beating the teams that you're supposed to beat. Check for the Lakers. It's on the schedule, right? It's, it's on the schedule, right? Well, you, 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 you beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. They, th- mm-hmm. This team has pushed its chips all into the middle of the table. They're all in, right? This isn't a – we're not just trying to figure out who we are. They feel that they have a championship-caliber team. And they are, they've proven. They're proving that as we speak. They're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. Now, am I convinced that they are the best team against the best teams? No. Do I see some things with the naked eye that say, you know what, this team can be beat in a seven-game series? Yes. But I do like their team. I like the way they play. And they've proven the first step. You win the games you're supposed to win. That's part of being a good team. Now, as the as the, you know, the season goes on and they catch teams back to back and they play against teams who will begin to separate themselves and 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 circle games and when I say circle games, they'll mark those games. I'll say we we want to be ready for that Laker game. I think then we'll find out more about this team. But as of now, they're handling their business, they're taking care of their business and they're doing what they're supposed to do. But I'm still not ready to say they're the best team in the NBA based on what I've seen this early in the season. But they are a good team, and I give them credit for what they've been able to accomplish because that says something about them. They are, you know, it says something about their professionalism and what they're, what they, how they view themselves. But what is that going to look like in a seven-game series versus, you know, the Clippers or versus? you know, the upper echelon teams in this league because uh, that's a whole different ballgame. So the Lakers are 17-3. and three. There's another team, Mr. Armstrong, that is 17-3, the Milwaukee Bucks. And, of course, there is another terrific team in L.A., the Los Angeles Clippers. The schedule maker is very nice. They gave us this game coming up on Friday. Giannis versus Kawhi, Bucks versus Clippers. I think it's a measuring stick game for both teams. How important is this game for Giannis? How important is this game for the Clips? Well, considering how much there's been said about Kawhi not playing in the previous meeting when the Bucks came out to play, I think the Clippers are going to point to this game. And I think this will make a statement for them to let the league know, not just the Western Conference, but the league know that we're for real. And we can beat anybody anywhere and this is a statement game to let everyone know that they are the best of the best. I make no doubt about it. I think Doc Rivers understands that. I think his team understands that. And this will be a game that no one in the league is really going to be saying, but I'm going to say it here. The league will be watching this game. They'll be watching those two players in particular because this Giannis kid, I haven't seen a player that has caught my attention the way he has in a long time. This kid is averaging roughly around 30 points a game or so. And But check this out, Eric. He's shooting, what, 20% or so from the three, and he's shooting below 50 or 60% from the free throw line, and he's still averaging 30 points a game, and he's in first he place. Is, he is at almost 31 a night with 13 and a half rebounds, a touch under six assists, almost a block and a half, 
shooting 28 and change from three, 56 from the floor, and struggling at 58-6 from the free throw. Okay, line. now Eric, now Un- it's it's unbelievable. That, that, this is un- unbelievable. We live in an era where we we just got done talking about James Harden. And we're talking about how explosive of a player, and, and he has plus 50 in the whatever, the, the, the plus minus and all that stuff. Here's a kid that clearly affects the bottom line. Here's a kid that has so much room That's why to MVP on the offensive end, and he's still averaging 31 a game. He makes me nervous, Eric, as, as an observer of the game. Because this kid is a consistent jump shot away from taking over this league in a way that probably we've never seen. Now, crazy. He, he's doing, and and, he, and, he, and they haven't, and and just real quick, Brogdon is such a good player. But it, Malcolm Brogdon is such a good player. Is showing it this year with the Pacers, and the Bucks have not missed a beat, beat without and, him. And this kid, still, still, Eric, Eric hasn't shot. He's not shooting like a high percentage, or he's not. Eric, this kid makes me really, really nervous because not only does he does he put up massive numbers like we've never seen, he's doing it in a way, Eric, that clearly contradicts everything we talk about, pace and space and three-point shooting and all of those things. And here's a kid that's not shooting a three. Here's a kid that gets to the free throw line. I don't know how many times he gets there, probably double digits. He's only shooting, he's shooting less than 60%. And he's still affecting the game in a way that affects the bottom line without a jump shot. And when he puts a jump shot to this, it's over for this league. So you better beat him now. Because once he does that, Eric, this league, I think he's going to tear. He's already terrorizing the league. I think he's just going to take it. I think he's going to make a run in the NBA like we haven't seen. I think he's going to make a run. Like we haven't seen Eric because he has the opportunity to evolve because he can. I mean, think about Eric. He's now settled into the power forward position, but at one point during earlier parts of his career, he was a point guard. Eric, they gave him the ball as a as a point guard. Now, he can do so many things, and he's doing this, Eric, only playing literally half of the game because he really doesn't have a jump shot yet. He's getting to the basket and dunking, and we all know he's going there. Left, right, whatever he's doing. He's affecting the game in an era, Eric, where it's everything is anti how he sh- plays the game. We're all talking about threes, and we talk about step backs, and we talk about all of these things. And here's a guy, Eric, he does none of that. He does none of that. Doesn't need to. Doesn't need to, and he's surrounded by shooters, and they have they have versatile size, and uh, the their roster construction is is impressive, and being able to start the season seventeen and three, missing, like you know Eric Bledsoe is a good player. Malcolm Brogdon was the best guard on that team, so starting the season, seventeen and three, not missing Brogdon, Giannis's free throw attempts are up from nine and a half a game to eleven. His free throw percentage, this is interesting, BJ, his free throw percentage in 2017 was 77%. His free throw percentage in 2018 was 76 His free throw percentage in 2019 last season uh, touched under 73 And now he's he's struggling at, at 58 and change. So 
you'd have to think that he gets this up at least to the mid-60s uh, as we go through this season. But you said it. He is uh, he is a frightening talent. Ugh. He's wonderful to watch. It's oh, tremendous man. for that market to have a player and a team uh, in Milwaukee. It's great for the league. It's a great game to look forward to at this point in the season. Both teams, BJ, safe to say, have their own style, their own identity, their own star power, their own chip on their shoulder, and uh, a, a lot, a, a, a lot's gonna go into this one on Friday. And and you hit it with uh, the fact that Kawhi didn't play the first time. Uh, I think this is gonna be a, a, a great matchup, and uh, you, you better, you, you best bet that Giannis. And that Bucks crowd are going to be oh. fueled up, fueled up for this game on uh, on Friday. Um, we have a lot of good matchups this week. A, a lot of good matchups through the week and the weekend. And uh, you know the the Toronto Raptors involved in a couple of those too. And uh, they've won seven straight. They've got the Heat, the Rockets, the Sixers. The next three games. Um, so I, I put this question to you right now, BJ. You know, can they get back to the NBA Finals? As a, as a former player, I will say this: confidence is key to that league. Now, it's one thing we can say about the the Raptors; they're not lacking confidence. <laughs> when you watch Fred Van Fleet, who's one of my favorite players, right? He's one of my favorite. He's not the fastest. He's not the strongest. But man, is he a confident little kid! He is a confident player, whether he's playing against Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, Kimber Walker, Russell Westbrook. The man carries himself in a way that says, I belong, and I'm, I'm out here to prove it night in and night out. And I give that kid credit. So they have the confidence. I think they have a, a terrific coach and coaching staff, and they play the game from the defensive side. They tough, they get out, they defend, they work, and they have scores. I mean, this kid Siakam has shown that he is a player, right? We didn't know last year. You know, he was most improved, and but now he's coming in to the games with this attitude. I know you're you're, you're he's playing against the front line defenses in this league now where teams are gearing up to stop him and he's still getting his numbers. So number number one in the scouting. Yeah, report, he's sure. yeah. It, last sure. year, you know, he snuck up on some people this year. He's not sneaking up on anybody. He's bringing his game and he's bringing his a game. And uh, so this kid is a player. Uh, give Masai and his staff credit for putting this team together. I mean, Serge Ibaka has accepted his role as a starter. He's been a long-time starter in this league, and he's accepted his role, what he's been able to do coming, coming off the bench. And he's, and, he's, and he's been out, and they're still winning. Exactly. I mean, and Kyle Lowry's been out, and they're still winning. So this is a confident, confident group. They know they can win games because they can defend and get stops. And, uh, you know, those are the type of teams where, where you don't like to play because they believe and they believe that they can win, and they, we know that's a tough environment up there to win in Toronto, especially during the playoffs. It's a wild and ruckus-type atmosphere. 
and uh, anything is possible. Now that they've won a championship, they've been in game sevens. They've been down to the wire. So they're battle-tested, and uh, why not? They can absolutely, they can win. So, BJ, what I love about where we're at right now, you know, talking about the the Raptors as a battle-tested team. They're 15-4. and four. You know, in the East, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Heat, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Pacers, like these teams are all going to continue to get better throughout the season as long as they're healthy. And then obviously the, we know the gauntlet in the Western Conference. And yes, the Warriors have fallen out of it a bit and the Blazers, well, not a bit, they've bottomed out, but <laughs> the Blazers have started slow. They're coming back up. The Timberwolves have started uh better than I think people think the Mavericks obviously right in the thick of it we, we've got some really good teams and some really good ball being played right now so uh, a lot for us to continue to dig into uh, along with getting back to some of our uh, our favorite vintage stories so great job today my friend glad we both uh, got the kinks out after Thanksgiving as always a special thanks to producer Mike Lieber Bruce Bernstein, editor Benjamin Wolf, and the entire Pure Hoops Media team. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show on Mondays. The man himself, Mike Wise, bringing you new interviews coming up for this month of December. I know they're working on they're working on a notable player right now, so we'll keep an eye on that for next week. Uh, Catch and Shoot 2.0. We waited till after Thanksgiving. Coming at you soon with new hosts Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with the one and only Monica McNutt. And, of course, the Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and yours truly, Eric Newman, coming at you twice a week. Be brave out there with the weather, or at least on the East Coast. BJ, make sure you have your sunglasses ready out west. (laughs) Have a great week, everybody, and stay pure, my friends. Peace. The Pure Hoops Podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.